Blog Talk Radio. which we play at the beginning of each of our broadcasts. Hello and welcome to our first episode of the REPA Radio Hour. The Eastern Airlines Radio Show presents Eastern history, stories, and memories by the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. We are fortunate to have at our disposal over 40 years of history as told by the pilots of this great airline. Your producer and Admiral John Engel edited a book titled The Best of Repartee. After 30 years of magazines had been published and distributed to REPA members, affiliates, and spouses of those that had passed away. The magazine was a standard which other pilot retiree associations strive to equal. Although repartee is no longer published in magazine format, editor Captain Jim Holder is now working on a smaller version called a newsletter. We are hoping to continue broadcasting every great article that we become uh, that becomes available to us by the Eastern family of employees. The airline that doesn't plan for the future may not have one. Five years ago, Eastern saw the future in a remarkable aircraft. Now it's here. The new Boeing 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for you. Hey, 
Later. Later. range from the sounds you just heard, or better stated, from the male wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, also known the Whisper Liner. As with all our radio broadcasts, here is an Eastern advertisement to start our show. Flap lever. Up. Three on. Speed brake. You're in one of Easton's whisper jets. The noisiest section is the pilot's compartment. We keep the door closed. Flaps coming five. In the cabin, it's quiet. The jets and the noise are behind you. The Whisper Jet climbs to smooth cruising altitude faster than any other jet airliner. It's the most relaxing plane there is. Fly Eastern. See how much better an airline can be. Well, the jacket of a book, or as some would call the dust cover, reads as follows on the book that is described as the best of repartee. Faithful readers of Repartee magazine will be lured into this book without details because to them the title, The Best of Repartee, tells a story. To others, a few words here may be helpful. Repartee magazine is the official publication by and for the former pilots of Eastern Airlines, who in 1990 became suddenly retired when the courts declared Eastern bankrupt and unable to pay more than a fraction of their pilots and other employees their expected planned retirement. 
but their continued bonding together in lifelong friendship and a 2,000-member retired Eastern Pilots Association with its magazine of stories about their fellow members proved to be so interesting that their stories continued to be sent in and proved to be well-received and appreciated. Since 1971, the association has accumulated hundreds of these true personal stories of heroes, triumphs, and tragedies in their bound publication, Repartee. You'll laugh, cry, and congratulate these men who lived through the barnstorming days of early aviation, open cockpit flights, days of instrument pioneering, and up to the big jet days. Eastern aircraft were the first in many categories and are the backdrop for the most exciting stories in this book, and not a page is dull. The only problem your editors had in putting the book together was the selection of stories that we had room for in this first limited edition. It would be impossible for any author, however experienced, to single-handedly weave the story of the early days of an airline's history and the pilots who flew the aircraft. These pioneer pilots were asked to fly in darkness as well as daylight, good weather and bad, fog, rain, and snow with the most crude, in today's comparison, instruments. Roads, railroad tracks, and early radio ranges were their only means of navigation. Landing at night with only glow of flare pots put out earlier by ground personnel was a challenge that modern-day airmen cannot fathom with their fully automated landing systems. Only by strained listening for the sound of the on-course signal in their headset, sorted out from the many other static sounds of their aircraft and electrical discharges from the atmosphere, could these early pilots bring their aircraft in for a landing. In this book, such experiences of unavoidable getting lost were told in stark words. We owe much to these heroes of aviation progress. Their experiences and improvements which followed account for a vastly safer airline system in the USA and wherever airplanes are operated today. Enjoy these pages of heroes, triumphs, and tragedies now as we present them on REPA Radio Hour. Repartee editors Neil Holland and John Engel perused over 30 years of repartee magazines to harvest from among its treasures the selected articles and stories appearing in this book. Captain Neil Holland flew for Eastern Airlines from 1963 until 1989 and had the opportunity to fly with many whose stories are told in this book. Admiral John Engel was hired by Eastern Air Transport in 1932 and retired in Jacksonville, Florida, where he was sales and service manager in 1975. John has many stories of his own that have been shared with repartee, from loading the mail 
to the Pitcairns, to selling the corporate executives' travel accommodations with Eastern Airlines. Captain Bill Malone, the editor of Repartee for 15 years, was called upon to write the preface to the book, The Best of Repartee, and this is what he wrote. Repartee. The definition of repartee is a quick and witty reply. However, repartee also is the name of the publication of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, better known as REPA. Right from the beginning, Eastern Airlines was a most unusual company. For one thing, the pilots were true individuals, and in the early days, that was absolutely necessary as the state of the art was just being established. They played an integral part in the development of aviation, beginning with flying by instruments to advance navigation. Originally, pilots were finding their way with the help of the old Adcock radio range. The Eastern Airlines captain carried little other handbooks or notebooks containing diagrams of the four legs of the range, and after briefly refreshing their memory, they would execute the approach to the airport, devoting all their attention to flying the airplane. Not only did they guide the airplane in for a safe approach and landing, they captured the admiration of the new pilots coming to the company after World War II. From this unique relationship, there developed a sense of camaraderie that endured and was passed on to the new pilots who came later. The very first publication after the formation of REPA was simply called a newsletter. It was not until Gene Ramsey, Captain Gene Ramsey, became REPA's secretary that it began to take the form of a magazine. The publication by this time had attractive covers, One featured a picture of Captain Gene Brown wearing his helmet and goggles at the time he flew as an airmail pilot. Another contained Frank Spurr's beautifully composed picture of the church in Charleston, South Carolina. The issues had pictures of interesting stories about the Eastern Airlines pilots, and it set the tone for what was to come later. By 1984, and at the suggestion of Lou Transu, REPA had purchased a computer and a daisy wheel printer, which at the time was quite advanced and produced a higher grade of type. The publication moved from all capital letters, thinking that we older pilots couldn't read unless it was a capital letter, to lowercase. Slick paper and a dramatic blue color was added. As computers and printers became more sophisticated and less expensive, the shift was made to a laser jet printer incorporating Times New Roman print, and the layouts were done using the desktop publishing program Adobe PageMaker. But the cover pictures were what caught the eye and tickled the curiosity to see what was inside the magazine. You could say that it was patterned after the old Life magazine of the 1940s. 
The spring 1992 issue featured a Life magazine cover in the pinup section. Innovations were added, such as a Guess Who picture, an obituary section, a personal interview with one of our pilots, letters from the members, and a collage of pictures of happy people attending the annual REPA conventions, just to mention a few. The conventions have attracted as many as 650 attendees. But perhaps it is the stories written by the Eastern Airlines pilots that captures the most interest. This book contains a collection of some of the best entries of our publication that have been printed down through the years. They serve to give one a true feeling for the aviator. We did enjoy a most exciting profession. Now, let's learn a little about this organization now in its 39th year. That was when the book was written. However, REPA is in its 49th year now. So let's learn a little bit about the organization itself. To quote a phrase of the Old Testament, we start off in the beginning. October 1971, the Eastern Retired Pilots Association had its beginning in October of 1971. Captain E.M. Taylor and L.C. Transu, both under age of 55 at the time, approached Colonel Frank Borman on his feelings about them starting an association of retired pilots. Colonel Borman was very interested and pledged his full support from the company. A telephone campaign was begun, which resulted in about 20 retired pilots meeting in the living room of E.M. Taylor's house to discuss further plans. All were in favor of starting up as soon as possible. The first organizing convention was held at Key Biscayne on December 8th of 1971, and first the first bylaws were composed on December 9th, 1971. At that meeting, Paul Foster was elected president, George Youngerman, vice president, Jim Talton, vice president, and Jack Lambie, secretary, and Walt Tullis, treasurer. The name of the association was changed in January 1974 to the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, more commonly known as REPA. Beginning in 1977, the name of the newsletter became Repartee. We hope you will enjoy the many articles, stories, humor, and letters written by the members and friends of REPA. They are truly a story of Eastern Airlines. This is a collection of the 40-plus year history of REPA. We call it the best of repartee. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker received a letter from the president of REPA as a lifetime member of the organization. 
And here is the letter written by Eddie Rickenbacker. A poem sent in by an anonymous... It's dated 1972, and it's from E.V. Rickenbacker, 45 Rockefeller, Rockefeller Place, New York, 10020. And it reads... On my return to the city, I found your letter of December 19th and feel honored indeed that I was chosen by the Eastern Retired Pilots Association to receive the first honorary life membership. I am planning to attend the retirement dinner on January 21st and look forward with a great deal of pleasure to greeting you and all the other old timers. In the meantime, Kindest regards and best wishes to you and yours for many healthy, happy years ahead. Sincerely, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. Now, an article also was written by General James Doolittle because in 1973... Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, or correction, 1972, well, I got it, yeah, 73, excuse me, the captain passed away. And several letters came in to REPA honoring Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, and among those was this one by General Doolittle. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker passed away July 23rd, 1972. In the 1973 issue, there were remarks made by General James H. Doolittle, retired at the Key Biscayne Presbyterian Church, held 2 p.m. July 27, 1973. And it reads, Edward Vernon Rickenbacker epitomized those human attributes those basic values that have made America great and which, if we continue to follow them, will keep our beloved nation great. They are, not necessarily in order, courage. He received the Congressional Medal of Honor in World War I. This is the highest military honor for bravery that a grateful nation can bestow. But, even more important, he had moral courage, confidence in his convictions, and the courage to live by them. Integrity. His word was as good as his bond. I have known him for over a half century, and I cannot conceive of his warping of fact. With integrity, one is a whole man. Without it, he is not. Patriotism. He served his nation superbly in World War I. He was America's ace of aces with 26 victories in the sky. In World War II, he visited almost every theater of operation as a personal representative of President Roosevelt. He visited the 12th Air Force, which I commanded in Algeria, 
and was almost hit by a piece of flak. Intelligence. In addition to his formal education, he achieved wisdom, judgment, and common sense through observation and analysis. Through a careful study of his fellow man and what motivated him. Ambition. He practiced and believed in well-organized hard work. So did our forefathers. This is certainly one of the cornerstones of our national greatness. He rigorously disciplined himself. This is the best kind of dis discipline. A person who disciplines himself does not have to have discipline imposed on him by others. Humanity. He believed he was his brother's keeper. He was interested in and cared for his fellow man. Spirituality. He believed implicitly in a divine creator. He was sure that a universe as vast and as orderly as ours, from the microcosm to the macrocosm, could not have just happened. It must be ruled by a divine pur purpose beyond the mind of man. He spent a long and fruitful life in the service of his deity, his country, and his fellow man. This is the highest duty of man on earth. He has earned his rest. And that from Colonel or General James H. Doolittle, retired. An article sent in by a pilot who flew the mail is worth uh, reading here. Uh, it appeared in the 1973 issue of the newsletter. Another great article appearing in the 1973 issue of Repartee. The title, IFR, Category 1930s. Ernie says at the start, so you just shot an ILS to 200 and a half and picked up the approach lights on short final. Big deal. They used to separate the men from the boys by doing the same thing with prehistoric radios and Douglas racers, but without glide slope, lights, lead-in strobes, or middle markers. But after you're convinced you're past it, you can drop down to 3,000 on the southwest leg of the Newark Range, which is conveniently the approach leg. As for the alleged time of final approach, it is relatively unimportant since ATC often misses such estimates by 15 or, four or more minutes. You're sliding down the Allentown leg and beginning to pick up bits of the Newark leg. Now at Metuchen, it is back and forth and around and around with the engines throttled down to conserve fuel, but not too far down to render carburetor heat ineffective. You pull out the instrument approach plate for Newark and study and momentarily it momentarily. Then you place the approach plate back in your in your bag. 
you have long ago committed it to memory. Thus, from your present position, you will proceed directly in on the southwest leg, pass over the cone of silence at 3,000 feet, make a 180-degree and descend outbound again on the southwest leg, make a procedure turn when you feel you have everything pinned down, then return to the cone of silence, still descending. One minute after passing the cone, if the ground is not in sight and you have reached your minimum, you pull up and ask for another try or get the hell along to your alternate airport. And who the hell is going to monitor your personal minimums at Newark or any other place along your route? No matter what the operations office specifies, the peekaboo minimums still apply, and each man has its own unless a chief pilot happens to be riding the jump seat. If after descent you dislike the look of things, you're free to depart. But then, what if another flight from your own company makes it in? Or worse, suppose you decide you can't hack it and United or TWA does. And if there is an eastern flight anywhere inbound, they will certainly slip it, slip it in. They are particularly competitive at Washington National if that miserable ex-sandbank beside the Potomac can really be considered an airport. At 2,000 feet, with the procedure turn completed, you call for gear down and slide into the final approach leg. Your private guess is 1 minute and 30 seconds to the cone of silence. Make it 1 and 25 because of the wind. At the one-minute mark now and down to 1,500 feet, you call for 10 degrees of flaps. The co-pilot pumps mightily on a long lever as at his side. Popular magazines refer to all of this as riding the beam, although you never heard any pilot described what created this steady cone or tone as anything but a leg. Is there something Freudian here? You cut off the com company frequency so you can concentrate on the range signals. The company says that we are cleared to land. The Eastern just missed his approach. Hmm. Eastern pilots have a long-established reputation for pushing weather. They are very good and very tough to follow. The on-course signal is building very sharply now. You turn the volume down to save your ears and estimate 15 seconds to the cone of silence. Give me another bite, bite of flaps. The co-pilot pumps dutifully, and you shove the two-position props to low pitch. Your speed is 120 miles per hour. In the tight little world of professional flying, there are in the whole nation fewer than a thousand pilots who fly instruments regularly, and fewer still who shoot 300-foot approaches in blowing snow at night. Therefore, when the peanut light glows to indicate the cone and the signal almost immediately falls away to complete silence, it behooves you to take a yawn and say, give me full flaps.
The newsletter repartee had many talented writers. Some preferred to put their thoughts in the form of poetry. Here we have a poem again by an airmail pilot. It reads, Memories of an Airline Pilot I have flown higher than eagles dare fly. I have fought many storms in the night's black sky. I have watched the beauty of sunset glow long after it was dark below. I have watched the dawn light the eastern sky from my lofty seat up there on high, and soon it would drive night's darkness from earth and give the world a new day, a new birth. As I near the end of the runway of life and leave behind all its joys and strife with a worn engine that soon might fail, I am proud of the fact that I flew the mail. Now, we hope you will return with us every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time now as we hear the history of Eastern Airlines through the pages of Repartee, the magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. Uh, we do have a caller online. I'm going to open your microphone caller, and I see it might be our own host, Captain Mike Scott. Mike, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, How are we very doing, good. Captain Neil? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Having having a lot of fun, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just recovering from uh, getting my voice back after being out of commission for about ten days. What happened? Well, I, I had the uh, you know the, the flu or whatever. Well, I didn't yeah. have this. I didn't have this other thing that they have, but the yeah. corona thing and the. So I'm uh, I'm getting rid of what I had, and maybe I'm, I'm standing by to get the Corona one now. Yeah. Well, my daughter was going to leave tomorrow to come visit us from Mobile, Alabama, and I just received word from a friend uh, that uh, there may be a nationwide quarantine. Have you have you heard that? I have not. I just the local, pretty much the local stuff, but. Uh, Nothing nationwide as yet, but I haven't yeah. watched much TV today. The reserves are being uh, are brought out, and uh, they say until they get them in place across the nation, uh, you know, life will go on just like we're doing now. Uh, not quite quite the life I wanted, but uh, we have to do what we have to do. And uh, most of my neighborhood are staying inside. I see very little cars moving. Uh, here out in the suburbs of Jacksonville, Florida. Well, actually, St. Augustine, Florida. How is it there in your area, in New York, Mike? It's quiet as a church house mouse out there, except for <laughs> when, when there's a load of toilet paper that comes in. Then it's a feeding yeah. frenzy again. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about still, but uh, I've been in the house for about uh, close to five days myself. I haven't even left to even check my mail. So you've got a head start a head start with everyone else being quarantined then. Yeah, I guess so. I'm kind of, you know, being a single guy and living in a small place here, I'm I used to kind of being a home alone, you know, as the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, did you ever uh, get the Best of Repartee, the magazine? Uh, you probably got the magazines uh, that uh, were sent out by, by Repa, but... Um, 
as the editor back in 1999, um, I uh, thought it would be a good idea in 2000 to <clears throat> put the 35 years of magazines that I had accumulated or was handed down to me from Captain Bill Malone, who was the editor for 15 years, and uh, he passed everything that he had over to me and said, good luck uh, yeah. as the new editor. And at that time, we were putting together about three magazines a year and seasonally. And um, <clears throat> with those magazines and, and just reading the past issues, of course, I wasn't, uh, I didn't join REPA until I guess it was 1987 or 88 somewhere around then, and um, uh, at, at any rate, being the editor now, I looked in through many of the issues and decided that, you know, we ought to put together a book, and at that time, my assistant, uh, he was my co-editor, uh, was uh, Admiral John Engel, who was uh, Navy Admiral World War II. And at the time, John was about oh, 90 years old, I guess. And he had a desk in my office here in in the Jacksonville area. And we combed through many of those issues and selected the best stories that we thought would be a good, interesting book. And REPA paid for it. I forgot the exact dollar amount that we paid, but we ordered a first run of uh, 2,500 books, hard, hardcover, dust, dust, uh, uh, dust jacket, and a very handsome book. I'm holding it here in my hand I'm, now. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at one on my shelf. <laughs> okay, very good. And uh, in that, of course, there there are a few errors in there. I call, uh, slipped and called a DC-8, a picture of a DC-8, a DC-6. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that was the biggest mistake in the book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can edit. I think you can edit the Bible and still find some, uh, exactly. some faults in it, you know, some misprints yeah. and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you have one. And we're going to take a lot of stories out of those. And Jerry Frost has put together, and I don't know whether you've got a copy of it or not. If you don't, I'll send it to you. But Jerry put together beyond the 35 years that I did in the book and he brought it up to date and uh, so he added probably another 10 years or maybe 5 or 6 years I guess it's uh, 10 years now since my book was published and uh, and he put together a CD of every issue of Repartee the magazine from the newsletter do you have that? I got that. I got that one too. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. I have most of the most of the hard copies of uh, of the uh, repartee because uh, when wow. my dad passed away in in seventy uh, three, um, they were sending them to my mom. So uh, I, I she, when she used to give after she read them, she'd give them to me. So uh-huh. I have them all, and then of course later on, some years back, I joined as an affiliate member. So I have mm-hmm. most all of the the issues between several different shelves in my in my pile of junk here that I have <laughs> surrounding me here. Yeah, it's got to be. I take a lot of the early stories that we've done on the radio show 
from a bound, and I don't know how I got it. I guess it was among the stuff that uh, Bill Malone passed on to me. Uh, but it's a black, hard-bound book about the size of a Life magazine. It's a, it's a coffee table book, actually. Uh-huh. And the name of it is Newswing. And that was the Pickerin and the early Eastern Air Transport. Yeah. And it it contains volumes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And it was the personal copy of Thomas B. Doe, who was uh-huh. the first president of Eastern Air Transport. Uh-huh. And uh, his name is uh, in gold, uh, bold on, uh, on the face of the book. And every issue of Newswing, from Pitcairn to Eastern Air Transport's I think it's uh, year 1934, uh, is in that bound copy. And I, I scan through that for some great stories from time to time, which yeah, we've been you, sharing. Right. That's the, yeah. you, I know yeah. you come up with those on the, on yeah. the, on the regular show. And uh, I have a few issues that I've, I've picked up on eBay of the Newswing when, it, when they come on there. Uh, but just uh, probably only maybe a half a dozen of them or so. And most yeah. of them are all pretty pretty dog-eared and moth-eaten. Well, you know, as the editor, uh, <clears throat> when I was the editor, I had uh, all of the artifacts, uh, uh, memorabilia, photographs of all the air, of all the pilots. You know, we we called it our our death photo when we first came. That's with the what company my dad called took. it too. Same yeah. thing. Yeah, and we had I had all of those uh, notebooks that contained the pictures of all the pilots up to that time. And I had them stored in a locker, I mean a self-storage, because it was such a large number of items. And every year at the convention, my job was, as the editor, was to bring all of this stuff. Of course, I had to run a truck, I mean a van, to haul yeah. it. And then we would set it up on display on the uh, at the convention. And uh, But my mistake was that Repa didn't want to continue paying for that uh, self-storage. And so they told me to get rid of it. And at the time, they were starting a museum, a commercial aviation museum in Atlanta, Georgia. And somebody put the word out to the curator, the head of that museum, that I had all of the Eastern stuff. So I got a call from, I forgot his name, and he asked if uh, he could come and uh, get what we didn't want. And I said, well, you can take the whole truckload full of it. And, of course, he did. He came to Jacksonville and picked it all up and took it back to Atlanta and never seen anything since then because they went out of business. Don't know where all that stuff is, but it's a shame that I turned it over. It's all hiding somewhere. I know I have yeah. a, a small collection of the uh, the little pamphlets that they put out. They were small, yeah. Uh, yeah. about six the inches pilots. long, and they yeah. uh, and they had a gold uh, a gold frame, uh, like a gold leaf frame around it, and it had a picture of the pilot. And if you opened it up, yeah. it had yeah. there like a little resume for him in there. And I have a collection of. I guess those were done in sometime in the 30s. And I've, yeah. I've collected. I, I got. I guess I probably have a close to a hundred of those. But uh, you know, every once in a while, they'll, they'll come on eBay, and I'll try to bid on one. And I usually will bid high enough so I can get it. So, 
But that's just another one of my collections that's uh, sitting around here. Somebody's going to have to take all this stuff. When I kick the bucket, they'll all have to... So they'll have to come and get all this Eastern <laughs> Airlines stuff and put it somewhere else, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, you hate to turn loose of things like this, but, you, you of course, you, you've got to make plans. And uh, I've got now a, a library that uh, you saw the picture on the website that Dorothy posted. And we've got all of our books there. And, and I have given all of my stuff to Emery, uh, and he's my – my sidekick and has helped me a lot uh, with the the um, setting up the the webs the uh, the radio show and stuff like that. Yeah. Anytime I have any kind of computer problems, he's my geek. I turn to, but he he loves and he he was at all the shows since he first uh, met me. He's been to all my shows at the office at night. He comes in. Of course, we have a little toddy. And um, uh, he enjoyed it, and uh, he wanted it. He said, would you please give me all this stuff? So I said, yeah, you got it. So now he's got it, and we're sharing that office together. But anyhow, uh, it's going to be fun on Thursdays, and if you want to participate in any of these, please, uh, I'd love to have you do that. And, uh, yeah, I just happened to see. I was looking through my my I was trying to my computer was getting slow, so I was running through a a cleaning deal on it. And I uh, when it when it came back to life again, I happened to see the email come up, and I said, "Well, huh, what the heck? I was a little late getting on, but I said uh, I'm around, so I might as well <laughs> dial up and see what see what Captain Neal's got going on." Well, it's it was fun to do because I recorded each one of those that I read yeah. were all recorded. And uh, <clears throat> I just click the button, and they start playing, like the IFR article that I read and the letters and yeah, so that forth. Yeah, that was neat, yeah. And um, I, I was worried about getting – I got one out of place, and that was the poem. But uh, at any rate, it worked out pretty good, not too bad. But, boy, I, I tell you, I could use some help if you'd like to join me on Thursdays. Well, as long as it doesn't involve too much reading, I'll tell you, because I'm I'm the world's worst reader. And I can't pronounce words to save my tail end. You know, well, I'll I, give you some I, simple I was, stuff. Yeah, it's the old. Uh, I remember back uh, when my my sec my third or fourth grade uh, English uh, school teacher. I used to be daydreaming all the time, looking out the window, and doodling <laughs> airplanes on my on my papers and all of that. And uh, she t she once told me she said, "You'll nobody will ever pay you to look out a window." <laughs> I said, too, too bad she didn't live to find out that my whole, most of my career was looking at a cockpit window. Yeah, 30-some thousand feet, yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, my friend. Well, uh, we'll see what we can do, you know. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted, and and uh, hopefully you can join next week if <clears throat> if we're all here and the creeks don't rise. By the way, yeah. that phrase, if the creeks don't rise, you know yeah. what they were referring to in that in that it with the creeks don't rise. I'm not sure. The Creek Indians, and oh, that was okay. back in that was back in sure uh, Custer's days. If the creeks okay. don't rise, there was a few few cliches they had there, but we don't want to yeah. say them on, on live. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Here. That's right. Okay. <laughs> All right, but I'm they, gonna play uh, to get know, out of here. Lord, music. The good, the good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise is another one. Like we would say in in uh, in Saudi Arabia, they used to say Inshallah. Silver wings.
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's our sign-off music playing in the background, and we'll see you again next week, uh, okay, same time, Captain. when we continue our trip through the pages of Repartee. So long, Eastern, and so long to our Eastern family, and all be safe. Yeah, good luck. So long, guys. Leaving me lonely, silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Don't leave me, I cry. Don't take that airplane ride, but you locked me out of your mind. Left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engine Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away Silver wings Slowly fading out of